I want you to take a look at the title of this lesson. And we're going to get a jump start on the big word that we're talking about today, um, repentance. If you notice, we've got this whole section right here reserved. I mean, there's just nobody sitting there, and, and uh, it worked out just right. I hadn't planned on having the whole section, but we have it, so it, it may not have enough seats, actually. But um, to get a head start on this idea of repentance, <clears throat> I want all of those, all of you who last week in the first quarter of the Chiefs game, you said things about Andy Reid, you said things about Mahomes, you said things about the Kansas City Chiefs, about your mother and grandmother. Why don't you just come on down <laughs> and have a seat? <laughs> now... The rest of the sermon is going to be online. <clears throat> yeah, the rest of you, good job. You guys can go back and sit down. But thank, thank, give my hand for being honest anyway, my goodness. <clears throat> yeah, that was a rough one last week to start with. You know, after I guaranteed the win, I thought, well, there goes my Joe, Joe Namath moment. But we, we, we pulled it out. <clears throat> so anyway, we've been going through... It started several weeks ago, and we've had snow and sickness. And, um, but the Gospel of Mark, in particular, what it shows about Jesus, and just let me uh, remind you real quick, okay, that we looked at his baptism. And Jesus is baptized, and this is in the very first chapter. He's baptized, he's raised, this is my son, and immediately the Spirit takes him into the wilderness to be tested. And we dealt with that. Why the Son of God being tested? Why take Him out immediately? Right. And so we dealt with that. And, and, and the idea that, you know, life, if, if, if Jesus had to be tested and go through trials and become, you and I are going to have to do that. And um, so we, we, we dealt with that. Well, immediately after those verses, we read this. Starting in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus goes into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Right? Love it. The good news of God. Here's what he says. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe the good news. Now catch, again, what, what's happening here. Jesus has been through the baptism, the testing. He comes forth. He begins his ministry and says, look, here is the good news. And we love that. Oh, give us good news. Right? We're good news people. You get a raise. Woo, I love it. I got a raise. That's good news. Give me some more good news. I get a new granddaughter. Woo, that is great news. I love good news. What else you got? Repent. I'm not sure that's good news. Repent and believe. If, if, if he had said, now look, believe in the good news, we say, yes, I like that word. We're all about Belief and hope and trust and, and all of the and good news, we love it. But, but in between those bookends of good news and believe is this word, repent. 
And Jesus begins his ministry then going through the 40 days of trial and overcoming and out in the wilderness. And then he comes forth and says, now, here's the good news. Repent. Well, I thought Jesus was about, you know, fluffy rainbows and feel good emotions and our God is alive and we want to leave here feeling good. And Jesus says, yep, that, that, that's right. But let me tell you how you get there. You got to repent. You got to learn how to repent. So St. Isaac of Syria said this, it is a spiritual gift from God for a man to perceive his sins. It's a gift from God for a man to perceive his own sins. And I would add, and do something about it. And do something about it. So here's what's happened over the years. This concept of repent. And by the way, let me tell you again. The word in its literal meaning is to change your mind. Metanoia, change your mind. Now, over time, it's also come to mean changing directions, right? You turn around and you go a different direction. That happens when we choose to change our minds. Right, So I used to think this way, and so because of the way that I thought, it led to emotion. The emotions led to behavior, and so I acted a certain way. If I'm going to change, I have to change my mind. I have to deal with my thoughts. I have to overcome that so that eventually I change my behavior. Okay? So in the religious context, then, this word repent came to mean When you first come to Jesus, you have to repent of your sins, right? And then we say, you've got to confess Him as the Son of God. And to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. It's all true. But then you're done repenting. I like that. I like that. You know, I'm done. Hey, I changed. I changed my mind one time. I'm good with that. It's not the idea here. The principle in life that Jesus is teaching is that we are to believe the good news of Jesus, which is the gospel. And I repent. And tomorrow I'm going to have to repent. I'm going to have to change. In order for the gospel to be good news today, regardless of where you are, In your journey with Jesus, in order for the gospel to be good news today, we have to change. There are things that I have to stop doing. There are things that I need to add in my life. There are people that I need to go to. As a church, there are going to be things that we need to repent of. I'm going to show you in just a little bit. But this idea of repenting and repentance is an ongoing thing. See, I can get calloused in my way of life. I don't know about you, but I can sure get calloused and think, boy, I've been doing it this long. This is the way I do it. Somebody, my wife or one of you, come along and go, you know, maybe you ought to, that's not the right way to do things. That's not the right way to think. I've been doing it a long time. 
You know, who, who do you think you are coming along now and changing me? Right? And so it, it expresses this mentality that is not very teachable. And I wonder how many of us have gotten to the point where we're just not quite teachable anymore. That we just put our foot down. And then we wonder, why is this stuff not good news anymore? Just can't figure it out. Now, quickly, let me, let me go through. So, the, the church picked up on this. This is one of the first words of Jesus, by the way. If you go to the very end in Revelation 2, we have Jesus saying this at the end. Remember then from where you have fallen. Repent. Luke writes about this in, in Acts. Repent and be baptized, every one of you the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. You have Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And Peter says it this way, The Lord is not slow about His promise, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but to, for all to come to repentance. So this, this, this concept is throughout the Bible. And I'm going to argue that it has to be throughout our journey with Christ. That I'm changing. That I'm different. That when I look back a year ago from now, I'm not the same person. I've been renewed. I've changed. There's, there are things in my life that I don't do any longer. There are things that I've added for the glory of God. If we're staying the same, wake up your neighbor next to you. If we're staying the same, we are not growing we stay the same, we're not growing. And oftentimes, growth comes from this idea of repentance, which means I'm acknowledging my failure. I'm acknowledging and I'm willing to do something about it. I'm acknowledging these things in my life that I need to change. Now, let me throw this in. So I, there's a book that... <laughs> Um, M. Scott Peck wrote um, years ago, and, and the title of it is People of the Lie. So M. Scott Peck has interviewed thousands of people in his office. He's written, you've probably read some of his books, one of my favorite is The Road Less Traveled. But over the course of decades... He noticed that there would be people in his office that he is counseling, that he's listening to. And as he's talking to them, he gets this feeling that kind of comes over him. That, in essence, he senses, I don't like you. And he doesn't say it, but it's, I do not like you. There's something about you that just kind of cuts across the grain with me. And um, he began to develop this. He said, there's no, there's no writing about it. There's nothing in the literature. And he began to consider that concept, the concept of evil. And over the next several years, he began to watch for evil. That there are just some people that give him this feeling of evil. You'll have to read the book yourself and look at all of the case studies in it and some of the people that he talked to. Boy, it'll make your blood boil, some of the things that they do. Because he, what he will say is, 
evil people are just your ordinary, everyday people, neighbors, work, have a good job, raise a family. But there's just something about them. And again, to kind of condense time here, here's what his conclusion is. Evil people are those folks who are unwilling to look at their own lives, to look at their own sin, to look at the damage that they've done, and they will stand and defend themselves and never, in essence, repent. And M. Scott Peck labels that evil. Now, that took me back years ago when I read that. Right? Because my thinking of evil has been, well, that's the guy that carries around the axe, right? And he's swinging it as he goes down the street, doing damage. What about the person who raises children as a father who never says to the children, I've sinned. Please forgive me. So, for instance, I'll just give you a for instance. He tells the story of counseling the family. He first starts with a 15-year-old. His brother had committed suicide with a shotgun. And then this brother starts to go downhill, failing grades, not talking, visit, visits with him for a while, then brings his, his mom and dad into it, and come to find out that for Christmas that year, they had given the younger brother the older brother's shotgun. And they had no idea what M. Scott Peck was trying to communicate them. Do you see that by your actions and what you did to this son, his older brother's shotgun is causing him to go down? Well, Dr. Peck, we're not rich people. We can't just go out and buy gifts for folks. Well, we thought that he loved shotguns. And so that's what we did. We gave it to him. We love him so much. And Never willing to even consider the fact that what they had done is wrong. And he had to let them go after a period of time of counseling. He calls that evil. There'll never be an understanding of good news until you and I humble ourselves and repent of those things. To acknowledge those things. St. Therese wrote these words. If you're willing to serenely bear the trial of being displeasing to yourself, then you will be for Jesus a pleasant place of shelter. So what I'm describing to you this morning is how we get through this process of getting to good news. This is one of the reasons why the gospel, this is one of the reasons why Jesus has never really been good news to some of us. We've never come face to face with ourselves. We've never gotten down on our knees. Or maybe we did a long time ago, but now, right, we're the righteous ones. Well, I did that back in 1947. I got to do it today. God help me. 
God, help me. I repent. I'm changing my mind of this. I see what's going on. I realize that I haven't been growing, that I've just been kind of going through the motions, that I've been stuck in status quo for a long time. So let me say this applies again to me and my individual life. It applies to families, but it also applies to the church. And we've been talking about, again, in 2020, looking at how we can position ourselves at the Heartland Church of Christ to grow and what it's going to mean. The first thing is going to mean we need to repent of some things. So, let me go through this with you. And I'll try to go through quickly. Did this in Bible class a few weeks ago. So this is going to be rapid fire. So Tim Woodruff and some others did a demographic study of 50 churches in the churches of Christ. Okay? And 9,484 respondents from 50 congregations. Among other questions, three questions were asked. What's your age? How long have you been a Christian, and how long have you been a member of this church? Question one, what is your age? When they found out, it skewed toward the older end of the age spectrum for this particular question. The largest cohort in these churches was greater than 70. What is that, 20.17, followed then closely by the 60 to 69, which is another 20%, and then the 50 to 59-year-old 20%. 60.5% of our congregations, of those respondents, were 50 years or older in these churches of Christ. Respondents who reported being under 30 accounted for just 13%. Now, hopefully some alarms are already starting to go off in your head. Here are the implications. What does the future hold for these churches? A lot of funerals. This is what they say, a lot of funerals over the next several years. Um, The catastrophic loss of significant leaders and generous givers within our congregations. And a hardening resistance to change or tweaking of traditions. A downturn in active energetic involvement in the ministries of the church. Some of these churches will lose half their membership over the next 10 years. Almost all of them will effectively lose half their members in the next 20 years. 25% of these churches will be forced to close their doors, sell their assets in the next 10 to 20 years. Many congregations that now have full-time ministers will not be able to afford them, uh, that luxury for long. Implications for the rate of decline over the next few decades are staggering. With few exceptions, this demographic tsunami will overwhelm many of our churches and radically alter the landscape of our fellowship. Question two. How long have you been a Christian in these same 50 churches? 47% of respondents reported being Christians for more than 40 years. That's almost 50% have been 40 years or longer. Those indicating they had been Christians for less than five years amounted to 2.8%. Or one, what, one one-seventeenth of the size of the 40-year-plus group. Only 11% of respondents indicated that they had been Christians for 15 years or less. Implications from this study? 
The, desi- the dire forecast for the rate of decline in membership in congregations is not simply due to the realities of aging and mortality. We are not retaining our own children or bringing new people to the faith. Now listen, we've known this for some time. I can go back to my high school youth group in Louisiana back in the 70s and early 80s. And I did this 25, 30 years ago and wrote down the names and thought about where are they. Same numbers were the case 30 years ago. We're not retain. They left. We're not retaining our youth or our children. But at some point, we have to wake up and say, we're not retaining our children. And that's not acceptable. I'm not blaming anything or anybody. I'm just saying we... I got now. I've got four children. I've got grandchildren. I've got a grandchild, and I believe there will be more. God help us. I do not want that to be the case with my grandchildren. A pl- Here's some other implications of this: a plurality of the members of these churches were baptized before 1980. Since that time, the effectiveness of evangelistic efforts have waned drastically. To the point that from the year 2000 on, new believers barely register as a segment of the congregational population. That's 20 years long. This has been going on. This gets my, this gets my heart rate up a little bit because, again, for even in that 20 years, we've known this. Am I the only one that knows? We've known this, yes? Come on. Here's what else he says about it. What does the future hold for these churches? Even at this present time, their mortality rate physically exceeds their birth rate spiritually. More people are dying than are being spiritually birthed. In the coming years, this gap will only widen. These churches are just not reaching lost people. In significant missional ways, these congregations are not dying. They're already dead. He says no one can effectively challenge the claim that churches of Christ have lost their evangelistic voice. With very few exceptions, and he calls that, the you know, in the Bible Belt, Abilene, Nashville, Dallas, Houston, um, We've given up on reaching new audiences and vehemently resisted adaptations which might make us more evangelistically effective. Give that in layman's terms. We realize we're not growing. We're not reaching people. But I'm putting my foot down. We're not changing a thing in this church to do anything differently. That's what that says. You're not bringing any new changes into this church. Question three, how long have you been a member of this church? Skewed heavily again toward long-term believers. 37% said they've been a member of the congregations for more than 20 years. 
63 indicated they had been members for 10 years or longer, and just over one-third indicated less than 10 years. 22 of the 50 churches surveyed had at least 45% of their members reported being at those churches for 20 years or more. Twelve of those churches had a majority of their members reporting being at those churches for that length of time. Five of these churches had over 60% of their members reporting tenures of 20 years or more. One 80-member congregation in Virginia had 68% of their members being members for more than 20 years. Almost 75% had been there 20 years or longer. Here are the implications. What these data clearly demonstrate, however, um, however, is that the churches surveyed have, be, have, have very stable memberships. Two-thirds of the respondents have been at these churches for 10 years or longer. Almost half have been Christians for more than 40 years. And these churches, then, are now structured to preserve the status quo. Since the absence of younger, newer Christians in these churches is so pronounced, it can be assured that the longer tenured members have, reg- have resigned themselves to the dearth of people different from their own current norm. And to the degree that these data are suggestive for churches of Christ generally, the implications for the future are inescapable. High and increasing mortality rates, low, almost negligible spiritual birth rates and an absence of motivation and systems to affect the changes necessary to focus on and to reach outsiders. Combination of factors is not just dangerous. They write it's fatal. Let me check and see if that was the last. Here's their conclusion. Many people familiar with Churches of Christ are aware that affiliated congregations are comprised of older people, long-term Christians, and long-tenured members. We've known that. All most of us need to do is look around on Sunday morning at the churches we attend to reach these conclusions. The degree and consistency of these findings is sobering. The implications of these data for the future of the Churches of Christ are grave. Project these findings out 10, 20, or 30 years ahead, and what can we see? These realities should have been documented and addressed 30 years ago. Because in another 30 years, no one will be left standing to lament them. Now, let's make a little caveat here. Look at us. We don't necessarily fit this study. That we can be thankful for. We have a little bit of everything in this congregation. But a lot of what that is talking about applies to us. It's a mentality. of This is a certain way to do it. And we've always done it. And we're not changing even though we've noticed things. Kind of creeping lower and lower. People are leaving. We're not reaching new people. And we're not... We're not training people to grow into righteousness and holiness. We've said it's okay for this to be a kind of once a week country club and show up and sing as loud as you can and let's go eat some food and I'll see you next week. And Right? 
So let me give you some real good news this morning, okay? Because I know that one, when I read it, boy, I was just like, oh, I need a Prozac. That's what I need. And I need to take a nap. I mean, that's just real, that's sobering. It's true. And then I got frustrated and I got felt a little angry about this. Of course, if you're coming to know me, you know, then I say, okay, let's get to work. What are we going to do? I'm going to give you some good news. Are you ready? It's time to. Boy, you guys sound just thrilled sick about that. <laughs> I got some good news, right? We can. This is the greatest thing you'll hear today. It's time for us to. We got to repent. God help us. God help me. I've I've been a minister in the middle of this for a long time. We've been growing up in this. We've noticed the the decline in the, in our children and, and people that have had all kinds of marital issues and struggles, and they left. and And there's people all around us who don't know Jesus, and we just feel good about ourselves to come and worship each week. We're going to change our minds this year. And we're going to change our behavior. And we're going to change some methodology around here. And sometimes you may not be comfortable. Sometimes I might not be comfortable. And when that's the case, I go back and I repent. Because the good news of Jesus is for the entire world, not just for me. And if I'm a stumbling block in any way for the good news reaching people and, and, and helping to, to, you know, put in place things that help you grow spiritually, if I'm the problem, God forgive me. And that's the best news. And so here's what we do. As a church, we, we repent this morning. We confess that to God. And, and we'll do that. And today, it's time for some of us to repent. We're stubborn. We're proud. We're, 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 we're scared. We're frightened. It, it scares us to think that. Because here's the deal. Here, here's why it's good news. Repentance is life-giving. Right? It renews life within me. It's invigorating and, and it allows me to grow and become. But at the same time, even though it is this um, life-changing event for us, life-giving, it's humbling. We don't like to humble ourselves. I know the Old Testament talks a lot about it, but man, we don't like to humble ourselves. That's the place we need to find ourselves. Probably more often than not. It's painful. There's no two ways about it. It's painful. To admit I'm wrong. To admit I've made mistakes. I'd rather you hit me with a stick on the head than for me to say I was wrong. I got to change. 
Repentance, though, is movement. It's this journey. It's yes. I'm I'm, I'm changing from here. I'm repenting of this. And now I'm moving in this direction. It's not, listen to me, it's not that I just change my mind and look at things differently. No, oh, yeah, that's nice over there, right? I'm, I'm moving. I'm making the changes necessary. Repentance is newness. Now it's new. Never seen it like that before. Don't forget, in this context of Mark chapter 1, Jesus is talking about the good news of the kingdom of God. That's us. We have to practice this. We have to say, all right, you ready for this one? We have to declare that the kingdom of God is more powerful and is more of a priority than the American culture. I'm afraid this one of the things this is telling us is that we've been more concerned with the culture than with the kingdom of God. And, 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 and I confess that. And repentance ultimately is is life. So let's do this. We need to we need to humble ourselves and ask God to forgive us, and we need to repent. And so, I want to lead us in in a prayer of repentance. After that prayer, we'll stand and sing. And if we can then pray for you. Today, it's your day to come and say, that's me. I, Whatever it is in life, that I've just been stubborn and proud and afraid of this. But I want good news in my life. Come to the front and we'll circle around you and pray over you for that. But I think we have some business to take care of together, right? Let's pray. So, God, we come before you and not sure exactly what what, what to say. But we have we have sinned. We've fallen way short. And then to make matters worse, we've been arrogant enough to, or scared, to even look at ourselves to make the changes. As a church, I mean, most of us grew up hearing that we're doing it the right way, with the right name, and the right worship, and the right... But we weren't getting the right results. That should have said something to us. God, we we declare there have been so many good things that have happened for us as we've grown up in the church. And great people that loved us and loved Jesus. But we failed to continually repent and confess so as the body of Christ, we repent of whatever sin and pride and arrogance and rebellion and 
an arrogant attitude. We confess that. We humble ourselves before you. We ask for we ask for wisdom. We pray for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and those that will follow that they may find a healthy spiritual kingdom of God that they can grow up in and flourish. Forgive us for not doing that. Help this be a transition into good news and that we live the kingdom of God here. And God, we thank you for forgiveness and we thank you for second chances. We thank you for your patience with us. We pray for healing in our families and in this church and in this nation. May we turn to you and humble ourselves. And may we then change our minds, our thinking, and move in a different direction. In Jesus' name.